Hi, my name is Andy Chamberlain. I'm a writer and creative writing tutor, and you are listening to the Creative Writers Toolbelt, the podcast that gives you practical, accessible advice that you can apply straight away to your own writing. And welcome to the Creative Writers Toolbelt. My guest today is Tom Hunter. Tom trained as a journalist and has written for The Guardian and The Observer and receives commissions for articles and interviews from around the world. He is also a speaker and presenter and has been involved in public events like the Summer Science Exhibition at the Royal Society, the Stage the Future Conference at Royal Holloway and Out of This World, a science fiction exhibition at the British Library. He's a regular panellist at a range of conventions and literary events, including Nine Worlds, Worldcon and the Sci-Fi London Film Festival. By trade, he is a cultural marketer focusing on marketing and promotion of the arts, culture and visitor attractions. And he now works for London's Ice Bar, a venue at the heart of the city, which possesses a genuine sub-zero environment, hence the name, kept at a frosty minus five degrees and constructed from northern Swedish ice. But for all this, it's Tom's out-of-hours job that drew my attention to him and prompted me to invite him to be a guest on the podcast, because apart from all these other things, he is also the award director for the UK's foremost science fiction literature prize, the Arthur C. Clarke Award, which this year celebrates its 30th anniversary. So, Tom, welcome to the Creative Writers Toolbelt. Well, thank you very much for having me. Thanks for that amazing introduction. I'm going to write it down (laughs) word for word, because I think that's my cover letter for my next job application, actually. Really? <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> I'll send you that in an email later. <laughs> Perfect. Um, you're very welcome and it's great to have you on. I'm going to start by just asking if you could tell us a little bit about yourself, um, particularly like your involvement with science fiction and how you came to, to the role of award director for the Arthur C. Clarke Award. Yeah, sure. So as you mentioned, I mean, basically my background is journalism cultural marketing that's working for venues which have got an art base basically museums galleries that kind of thing and that combination of marketing and pr is very much one of the reasons why i got involved asked to be part of the clark award when the role of director was coming up at its most basic my entire career is based around trying to persuade people to like the same cool stuff that i do (laughs) and that was double for science fiction based stuff so i am a lifelong science fiction fan and you know, always have been. But actually, I started becoming more professionally involved in my sort of mid-twenties, partly through the jobs that I already had. I was writing for a magazine in Cambridge uh, as a nightclub reviewer. And the person doing the beer review column was a Clark Award winner called Colin Greenland. So nothing to do with science fiction, but I knew who he was as a fan. And then I knew who he was because we were writing for the same magazine. And then I knew who he was because we lived two streets away from each other. So funnily enough, Colin... It's all your fault. You got me into this. And uh, Colin's partner is uh, Susanna Clark, uh, who wrote Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell, another sort of very classic book. And uh, my sort of first memory of meeting Susanna was actually going around to pick up Colin to go to the pub while she was sat on the couch doing her uh, final check of that manuscript with Colin going to me. It's going to be quite big, you know. You know, it's probably quite good. And we go, (laughs) great, let's go to the pub. So that's kind of. (laughs) I say a lifelong fan, but then slowly through that, um, just starting to make connections with what people would generally call fandom, the community, those kind of things, and particularly yeah. the professional yeah. community. And that carried on when I was at a venue in Northampton and ended up involved with another writer called Ian Watson, who was a writer in residence at a writer's group yes. that had not been set up by me, but was in the venue that uh, I was working at the time. So I nicked it basically as my project when i found out it was a science fiction project raised some more money for it to keep it going and actually out of that early members were people like ian Waite, who's gone on to found newcon press which is a very yes, successful yes. Uh, indie press just celebrating its 10th year and it's all those kind of things yes, um suddenly yeah. you find yourself at an easter con and with someone like ian yes. introducing you to people so very quickly i suddenly found myself um at community events sat on the table with authors and editors yeah. and so on and they're buying me drinks because they're all lovely i'm buying them back of course but <laughs> it's completely the wrong way around and i'm sat on the table as a professional sort of in one sense very close to publishing understand how the industry works and absolutely nothing to yeah. say to anyone no book manuscript in my back pocket to pitch whatsoever so a completely wasted opportunity for all that networking and i (laughs) basically started getting involved from that i joined the british science fiction association as a committee member i edited their magazine matrix which was their news and media magazine at the time for a couple of years 
which was my sort of big intro to just getting involved, basically, which coincided with a move to London and going to a lot of events, meeting a lot of people, and more importantly, saying, oh, can I interview you? Our, our case study was basically, rather than write an article on China Mingable, let's get China Mingable out and interview him and yes. actually do it. Yes. And we wanted to kind of just actually get people in there. So I was being recognized as someone who could pick up the phone and go, PR person at Glance yes. or whatever, yes. can we, like, <laughs> you've got something coming out. Surely you'd want us to do something. And all of those, that was all the skills that obviously I've trained in. So suddenly I fit into the ecology, if you like, and was asked to be a judge for the Clark Award in the same year that my predecessor, Paul Kincaid, was stepping down, noticing that uh, Tom, he's yeah. young, he, he's enthusiastic, he's probably a bit of an idiot. I should probably sucker him into actually running the award <laughs> rather than being a judge. Um, and uh, I've now been doing it, as you say, for 10 years, having said I'd do it for five so that's basically how <laughs> yeah i mean i i'm I'll, sure we'll get onto it but i'm actually on my sort of second wind wow. if you like okay. uh just coming into that decade um future plans for the award and so on coinciding with our 30th anniversary so but that that's okay. it basically that's how i got involved a little bit of serendipity yeah. a little bit of networking and a little bit of blagging and basically a huge amount of enthusiasm okay. always positively focused on just wanting to promote other people's yeah. stuff well yeah you find someone up and go hey can i help you sell more books it's weird how quickly they come back to you <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. they can't say no can they i'd be interested to go back yeah. through the years if you like to to when you were younger what were the what were the mm. formative works that inspired you whether that's books tv film what was it that that first drew you that, that appealed to you I mean, going back really early, I mean, it was anything that seemed to be science fictional. I was actually talking about this with my parents the other day and just kind of going, yeah. you know, was there a moment when I wasn't into it? Because I just seem to remember my first memory is arriving fully formed as a science fiction fan, basically, <laughs> and watching anything with a spaceship in it on telly, you know, kind of Battle of the Planets, the early car, you know, cartoon, Star, yes. Star Wars, obviously. Um, yeah, you know, required viewing. I, yeah. I'm convinced that Battlestar Galactica, the original series, was amazing. You know, as a kid, and then you watch it again yes. as an adult, and you're like, oh, oh dear, oh no, it's still quite good though, isn't it? <laughs> and, um, so the the reboot was obviously amazing because you've got to watch it as a grown up and so on. And then I'm gonna just put it out there. I was hugely addicted to Transformers in the 80s. Oh, I well, see. You were there. You were there the first time round, weren't you? Then yes, I was. I was in there. <laughs> it, it was just kind of compelling stuff. I love the complexity of all the different characters of the stories you know you haven't really seen that in toy yes. merchandising and i know it was done to sell me toys but it works probably informed my going into marketing <laughs> move on a bit though that absolute classic story of being left in the library every week weekend while parents were you know doing the weekly shop yeah. or whatever yeah. it was new books every week and it's hard for me to remember who were the really formative ones because it was literally who was on the shelves that week and i remember reading philip k mm. dick way too young yeah. and clive barker way too young and all of those books that you definitely need to read when you're way too young, and then you read them again and go, oh, oh right, I yeah. see. And I think school friends, but I think, you know, you kind of get, you start trading stuff. I, I was massively into Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy from TV show and the books, and just read, reread them, you know, as soon as you finish the last one back to the beginning and that kind yeah. of stuff. Really formatively, though, for me, William Gibson was yes. a huge influence in that sort of 14 to 16 or something like that i actually got into university i think primarily because i'm a william gibson fan after failing a bunch of interviews with people who were not interested in anything i had to say <laughs> about my actual chosen subject and then a final fleeting question what are you reading from the person who went on to accept me and become one of my favorite lecturers and I'm like oh i'm reading william gibson me too huge conversation running over the next person's waiting desperately for their interview opportunity <laughs> and at the end of it he very unprofessionally goes well you've got a place and that's it that's my university Excellent. career sorted. <laughs> uh, perhaps I should ask you this first. Do you have a role in judging the award? No, I'm oh, allowed to enthuse about authors as much as I like. That's great. Okay. And be biased. <laughs> <laughs> and um, some of them are going to be Clark related anyway. Sure, of course. Yeah. I, you know, I should say that um, as I'm not a judge, I am just phoned up when the decision has been made and then told what it is. And I right. always love the result. It doesn't always mean I personally my favorite but i don't always see why that one has won yes yeah. and the main joy of having done that for 10 years is the lack of need to participate in all the online arguments over whether that should have been shortlisted <laughs> or not because i can't <laughs> i can just get on and read the stuff that i like yeah and i have to go out there and tell people why so that has uh, been one of the absolute blessings of running the awards <laughs> secretly 
So if you think about authors now who might inspire you, this could be from within science fiction or outside it. Who inspires you? But I, can, I mean, I can tell you some people who I'm really excited about in the last few years, some of them going for ages. I mean, Lauren Bukas, who won the Clock Award five years ago with Zoo City, which was at a point financially, which that might have been the last Clock Award, uh, is one of the people who personally inspires me, not only as a writer, but right. also as, you know, as a person. And she's spoken at events that I've organized, has taken the Clark Award win for her second book. And while I'm not saying, again, that we're in any way responsible for her career because she is a rocket, you know, focused on the, mm. on, on the getting the next thing in. Um, she was able to take that win and turn that into a much bigger success than some other people have through a combination of social media, savviness, a, a journalistic background and knowing how to pitch those kind of things. But also weird things where she was mentioned in the uh, honours role of the South African government roundup of best things our country has done this year and this kind of thing, <laughs> which is kind of cool. Yeah, well, all these things count, don't they, I suppose? Absolutely. I hugely admire China Mievel, three times winner of the Clark Award, because he innovates on every single book. And if you want to be jealous of someone simultaneously, uh, you know, and kind of hugely admiring, he's a great person to pick. Jeff Vandermeer is a personal favourite author of mine. Um, his Southern Reach trilogy, which is just being completed filming by Alex Garland, coming out very soon, starring Natalie Portman, is someone who writes a lot on being a writer, non-fiction books like Book Life and Wonder Book and so on, and has actually put so much into the sort of the broader science fiction sphere, along with his wife Anne, you know, with lots of um, anthologies, really high quality anthologies, and again, continually innovating J.G. Ballard is a classic for me. And then actually, I'm really excited by there are so many authors right now um, who are just up and coming uh, or, or are starting to really hit their yes. peak. And again, you know, some are turning up on Clark shortlists or other shortlists. There's people like Nelly Okorafor, a uh, writer called Anne Charnock, who um, has been nominated for the Philip K. Dick Award and uh, the Kitches Award, and originally self-published her first book, A Calculated Life, has now gone on and is about to publish her third book. Yeah. So what, in your opinion, makes for a great novel? I stole my answer, and I'm gonna, not going to apologise for it, because <laughs> I stole it from a very good agent friend of mine, summed it up very well. I won't tell you which one. From time to time, I used to do a little bit of slush reading, okay, uh, yes. partly as a favour, partly... Uh, you know, for sheer curiosity at the levels of awfulness that agents are submitted to on a on a daily basis. So I was doing that, and I asked the question, like, "What do you want? You know, are you looking for something yeah. right now? You know, the trends ahead, or you know, kind of the next big." next version of blah or whatever and they just looked at me like i was an idiot and went no we want you to come back with uh, the the book that enthuses you so much you go straight down to the pub and tell absolutely everyone about it and that for me is what defines a great novel basically a non-fiction book it'd be the kind of thing that you keep putting it down not because it's dull but because you keep needing to write notes yes, about how yeah, you know what you're yeah. going to do in work the next morning or whatever and you've changed your plans uh your life or whatever it is you know for fiction if you're reading it late at night Obviously, you can't go straight to the pub, but you'll be up at four in the morning and you'll be straight there afterwards to tell your friends. <laughs> so it's it's that kind of enthusiasm rather than it's not a formula. There's yeah. not a kind of, oh, we're all doing vampires this year or, or whatever else. It's 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 something that just grabs you about the novel. I mean, you mentioned vampires, and, you know, I can skip straight to my personal dislike for Twilight, although I've not read it. And actually, I'm hugely in favour of it because I know that the people who are reading it are reading not me. You know, not a forty-year-old yeah, bloke, yeah. <laughs> um, and it's that, that exact level of enthusiasm that you can see in the fans of, yes, of, of yeah. and, and and good, frankly. And <laughs> it's the same thing that we talk about with the judges for the Clark Award. Not that exact story, but actually, yeah. there are a lot of people will sort of say to us things like, "Oh, you can see that's an obvious Clark Award pick," or "The judges have obviously done this year because last year they did this," and we sort of look at them and go, "Who the hell are these robot judges that you think we have?" First of all, they're different people in the room every year. So there's no sort of hive mind Clark thing. <laughs> and secondly, they're all highly informed and opinionated. So getting them to agree at all on what they want this year, let alone to like have some sort of dialogue with last year's, oh, last year's space. So this year it's got to be this or yeah. you know, rubbish. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and if I tried to impose my will on them at all, you'd, you'd have already known about it because the scandal would have been retweeted all over the place. <laughs> and, you know, we sort of say to them basically, look, you're coming to us, you're an expert, you're, all our judges are nominated by British Science Fiction Association, Science Fiction Foundation, Sci-Fi London Film Festival. They're nominated independently. We have vetoes and so on. If there's a particular issue, it, technically I could fire a judge if they were being disruptive, for example, but not over the okay, fact that they right. like China Mievel less than me 
or whatever, you know. <laughs> and we we're hiring them in saying, yeah. right, you know, you don't put your personal tastes on the side and try and come up with a what's the best Clark book. You double down on those personal tastes. We know that you're going to like a certain kind yeah. of book. We ask yeah. you to consider others as well, so you know, to not just zero in on what you like. You've got to look at the whole spectrum. They've got to look at all the books that are put in front of them. But, you know, if you know you don't like a particular style, it's going to absolutely persuade you, you if it's going to win you over. And that's absolutely fine. And more importantly, you've got four other people in the room mm. who are going to be doing exactly the same. Yes. Yeah. And they're not going to coincide at all with your points of view. You might coalesce around a few. It's often the case that within your picking a shortlist, you might see two or three that are obvious that everyone really likes. And the argument isn't over who's going to win necessarily yes, is yeah. who's at book seven out of a six book shortlist who's out even though you think well they're probably not going to oh, okay. win and yeah that's not the case every year but i just kind of give an example of where that debate is it's interesting you should say that because um i noted that this year your chair of judges andrew butler said that it was particularly difficult to bring the list down to six books he says the shortlist is six books so do you have any idea why why that might have been this year i do because it's the one year i sat in and listened to them whereas normally i don't <laughs> and that's mostly because i just had to can get you tell us <laughs> i'm not going to give reveal the secrets but i can tell you there's a couple of different reasons which made that kind of particularly applicable this year one of them is simply a trend we've seen in recent years and ever in increasing number of submissions when i took on the award 10 years ago we were getting about 45 books a year a couple of years ago we peaked at 120 and we're still bringing in 100 or so a year it's just more books right. basically right. and there are a number of reasons for that there are a number of more uk publishers that have come up yes. to the fore uh, solaris very strong publisher titan joe fletcher books and that's genre specific imprints with lots of titles every year just boost yes. the numbers up i mentioned places like newcon press the press you know the sort of the small press are i won't say thriving because there's always issues with small press and so on but they are definitely alive and kicking and it's also an increasing willingness on the behalf of let's just call mainstream publishers i'm not really so sort of happy with that term but you know it's a definitely increased willingness to send us stuff that might sit on the borderline. And whereas before we might not have seen it, it's right. definitely coming in now. Right. It's partly a change in age, new editorial staff. To be honest, it's partly a change in, um, I'm much more actively involved in chasing the books and, um, going, send it to me on the phone. Yes. And yeah. doing an aggressive sales call. <laughs> Friendly aggressive, but, you know, kind of <laughs> send me the bloody thing. <laughs> and we also release the list of submissions every year now, which is very useful for showing the full state of the year and, also saying to certain publishers, but if you don't send it to me, that person over there on that blog is going to be really loud on Twitter saying, where the hell is it? Because it's their favourite book of the year. So could you just put it yeah. in a box and send me yeah, some? Yeah. And all of yeah. that contributes to just the the complexity of the list itself. It's a lot of books. Yes, you always yeah. used to have this kind of idea of like, oh, there's going to be a literary one or something, or you know, that's the space one or something. And now there are lots more variants. As many people from the mainstream trying to break into genre as there are genre people trying to break out. And an increased porousness between those two. So that really contributes. Your mix of judges is always going to be important. But actually, there was a lot of kind of friendly agreement and disagreement, but there are a lot of different books. And this is um, a really interesting shortlist in the sense that on the one hand, it's a very classical. There are a lot of books with a space kind of component to them. There is a more mm, literary yes. one, and that's a kind of a classic tick box bingo Clark kind of moment. But actually, I mean, I'm talking about Ian Pears there. He actually emailed me and said, you know, um, I'm really, really pleased to be nominated. Uh, you know, I specifically went out there and said it is science fiction. I didn't give it any hand wavy, uh, oh yeah, speculative fiction with a future element or some crap like that. He kind of said, no, I'm writing in the science fiction space and I was just a bit worried that everyone might tell me to piss off. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, <laughs> but actually they've been really friendly and it's very nice. And, um, and that's part of that change in culture. Yeah. Okay. I was going to ask you about the, the, the whole award itself as well. What is special about the Arthur C. Clarke award and what, what, what's its vision and what, is, what is it about it? That, okay. from your point of view, makes it a distinct thing. I mean, I think in one sense, I mean, it's a juried prize. It has cash component to it. And those kind of things help rise it up outside of the immediate awareness. When I first heard of the Clark Award, um, I was at university. I picked up a copy of Vert by Jeff Noon, which was a winner. Now, I knew that Vert was meant to be cool. Friends had read it. And it was cyberpunky. And I obviously, you know, cyberpunky from the William Gibson. Yeah. So, so yes. I, I was going to just go and buy this book. And I picked it up, turned it around, and it says, you know, when they asked the clock award on the back, how rubbish is that? But it's there. <laughs> and, uh, but I remember thinking as I stood in the queue at W.H. Smith's going, that sounds like an awesome prize. 
and imagining it kind of like the Oscars with red carpets and spotlights and you know yeah. come down in London. I wasn't anywhere near London at the time. And yeah, I haven't quite got it to that stage is it not, yet. Is it, not, is it not red carpets and limousines and and lights? And... Yeah, well, I have one, but no, I'm stretching the budget <laughs> further is a bit tricky. But I mean, it has a resonance because it has Arthur's name attached to it, well, and it's yeah. a juried yeah. prize which gives it some prestige. I am in no way critical of fan-based prizes, but there is a you know, if you're asking me, what did it bring to that? There was no juried prize with distinction to it when the award was first created and it filled a real gap there my mission when i was brought in one of my sort of like this is what we would like the award to do was basically to get out beyond the immediate conventions and genre circuit the people who who know what books are in contention will probably you know disagree with you because they already know what their top six shortlist is and to get out to people who actually don't know have not heard of you know awards they might be a science fiction fan but they've not connected in that way that i was describing back when we first started chatting you know they didn't happen to work with someone who was writing a beer column sat next to them that kind of thing and that that has been the mission for the last 10 years really is to raise awareness and to make a particular impact on book sales okay so thinking about we've kind of alluded to some of what's on the list this year can you give us a quick summary of the six works that are shortlisted this year? yes with no bias whatsoever in any direction um first of all we have um let's try and do them in a particular order um We've just had Brexit, so I might as well talk about Europe at Midnight by Dave Hutchinson, which, while it doesn't predict it exactly, has got to be one of the most prescient kind of contemporary science fiction trilogies out there. In fact, I think there's going to be four of them now. So last year he was nominated for Europe at Autumn, and uh, Europe at Midnight is the follow-up. And basically it's a uh, story set around many, many micro-nations across Europe. As Europe is fragmented, there's a train line going all the way across Europe that is its own nation. And then it gets even more complicated. (laughs) And there is a science fiction element in there which I'm not going to discuss because that's moving into spoiler territory. But imagine a kind of... um, a sort of humorous John le Carre mashup with science fiction tropes in it and spying and conspiracy and so on on your, on your way. Nidia Korofor is someone who's been tipped to be at least shortlisted for the Clark Award for a couple of years now. Uh, a lot of people are talking about her previous novel, Lagoon, which is very good. Book of Phoenix uh, is the one that has made that on. And that's um, it's kind of this near future post-apocalyptic, got kind of superhero elements to it almost. So basically a super-powered character going on a revenge mission certainly hearing a lot of a lot about her at the moment i mean she she is a name that, that comes up more and more yeah at the eye here at the moment so it's interesting that, that she's made it now i mean it, from someone you know my job every year is to just you know i listen to what's out there i try and make predictions yeah, i listen you know kind true. of and there are certain names that you just think either it's going to be a crime and you'll never be nominated for just we don't know why reasons or you know you'll always be book seven all that and Nettie is, is definitely kind of I, w- I was not surprised by that nomination in any no. way whatsoever and I think it's kind of okay. um, some of her other books have been a little bit more fantasy based so this is the one that's kind of yeah, sure. the buzz is there and then the book's there talking about fantasy Adrian Tchaikovsky he's written something like 14 books in a fantasy series the his Shadows of the Apps series um, and has decided that that's just not enough now he needs to conquer science fiction as well so with his first science fiction book he is shortlisted for the Clark Order you know he's does have a little bit of awfully pedigree though behind him and this yes, is a, this, does, yeah I'm, I'm, i don't mean classic in the sense of anything other than this is a big space novel far future terraforming not quite alien races and again it's not really a spoiler to say that he, he's a man who likes his insects and his arachnids and so on there is a lot of spiders <laughs> in this book james Smythe has been shortlisted before for one of my personal favorite books in the last couple of years which is the machine which ultimately lost out to Anne Leckie's Ancillary Justice a couple of years ago. Considering Ancillary Justice went on to win absolutely everything, basically, I um, hope he's okay he's with did, that. My word. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we were one of the first, though, so we like to say that we kind of went, look, we're, we know, uh, you know, we, we saw it first. Um, he's back. Another space kind of focused thing. This one is YA. It's utterly brutal YA. You know, when we were talking earlier about kind of reading stuff in an inappropriate age, one of the interesting things is about how YA, on the one hand, is, is supposed to be safer, but actually, no, no chance. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, this is a, this is a quite dark and brutal space set YA novel with a teenage heroine. Which is why it's YA, I guess, aimed at that audience. But I think it's just a pretty much just 
most powerful on the list this year. Long Way to a Small Angry Planet, we were talking earlier about self-publishing, Yes, was nominated the year before for the Kitsch's Award as a mm. self-published book. Um, from which it has built up a lot of, you know, buzz. It was ultimately picked up by Hodder and is shortlisted by us this year. A lot of people have gone on to compare it to something like Firefly, the huge buzz around that. Yes. Um, yeah. yeah. And I think that's absolutely fair. The dialogue's there. It's multi-character. It's set on a spaceship. It's got that kind of aesthetic where effectively the plot is there sort of constructing a wormhole to connect to places for industrial reasons. But worm, the wormhole is not an exciting technology. It's a bog-standard, boring kind of thing. This is the kind of people who go out and lay tarmac on the road. This is not inventing a <laughs> yeah, new form of transport. Yeah. This is just, you know, build us a lay-by kind of stuff, <laughs> you know, which is a nice kind of different take on some sci-fi. It's one that has brought a lot of joy to so many people. If there's one word I was yeah. going to sum out with, it would be absolutely yeah. joy. I think that's true. Actually, I mean, of of your six authors, the one I've the one I've had as a guest so far is Becky Chambers. Mm. Um, so I spoke to her like three or four months ago, and one of the things I said to her was that there seems to be a tremendous amount of joy in that book. And she said that you know she was pleased that uh, it had been spotted, and that was one of her one of the things she wanted to try and do. In the best sense, it's quite a simple book, isn't it? In in the very best sense, but yeah. it's it has it has a attracts a lot of attention i mean it can it can definitely merit a deeper reading and it can support that completely but at the same time yeah yeah yeah. you can get into it very easily and i'm going to take a slight tangent because i still need to talk about arcadia but since we're on this one let's uh, yes uh, there's a lot of conversation about women in sf going on at the moment not all of it positive lots of stuff around the hugo awards and all those kind of things and this idea of a politicizing of science fiction or a kind of an agenda pushing and really there there is a, a pretty broad spectrum actually i mean if we just take your six mm. books there's quite a kind of an eclectic mix amongst yeah, that lot absolutely it, i think so there's that as the phrase goes you know something for everyone there on that list yeah well, we want to talk about arcadia so the final book i didn't leave it to last specifically i just had them in front of me in a particular order and note for this is the the literary one if you like and it's a small l literary i wouldn't want to say it's kind of overly complexing itself it's actually a very simple story told in uh, sort of multiple multiple viewpoints and he even wrote it as an app so it could be specifically reshuffled and you could follow that in different ways which is you know it's an exciting innovation he chose a sort of science fiction based story to write a novel as an app as well you know it's great to see an author actually experimenting in those kind of ways and actually coming to science fiction saying you know i want to experiment with form who's up for that kind of stuff so for all of those books, I look at them all and I kind of think of my friends and I think I would probably give a different one to each of them if it was a Christmas gifting kind of thing, which yes. I think is yeah. you know, it's a great way to have a shortlist, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I was thinking about that shortlist. What is that say? Are all these books saying to us about the trends and the issues in, in science fiction at the moment? I was listening to a lot of other people looking at it and making that interpretation because we don't try to necessarily lay an interpretation over it. We don't pick for we don't pick for what we think people should be reading. We don't pick for we're we're looking for what we think is best. And that definition of best from the judges comes from that that whole point of we're really enthused about it, first and foremost, and then argument ensues. (laughs) But you you can see those those are classic stories. Uh, Children of Time as well, and uh, Way Down Dark. You know, these are space sets, so that's kind of, you know, we could argue for a sort of return to the core values of genre versus the sort of more experimental end. But at the same time, I couldn't argue that any of those are not experimental in their own way. A YA book, a self-published book, that kind of thing. It feels like a very contemporary conversation with SF. Uh, These are writers who probably been on the internet read the blogs read the arguments still doing their own thing trying though to they're writing science fiction today might be very heavily influenced in some sense by older science fiction of course it always is anyway but you know but if i went back a couple of years i could look at you know books which were much more you know you could be looking at more experimental ones and it's not to say what didn't make it onto you know book seven and eight I try to avoid putting too much on the interpretation what i can tell you is when i was first told the shortlist and i i alone had it outside of the judges it was one that fascinated me immediately yeah because i couldn't quite get my head around it and i even put this out in our press release and so on and i think you know you look at it once that's good you look at it again and it starts to sort of reveal a hidden kind of and that is really good and the more you think about it 
it's not necessarily a list that a lot of people are expecting to see, the pundits who like to predict and guess, you know. And often those predictions reveal much more about the person than it does yeah. actually stay of science fiction, you know. I, I think that's a healthy sign, isn't it, really, that yeah. no one quite expects everything on the list and it, there's an, there's intri- it's an intriguing list and... Oh, that's a, that's that's yeah. a healthy thing. I, mean, I think basically it's kind of um to a, a typical reviewer or something. Like that. It's like I know for a fact you're expecting six completely different books, but you can't argue that ours aren't as good. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's it's very nice in that sense that the reaction to this shortlist has been almost entirely positive as far as I have seen. There are people who said I would have liked this book, but what they have picked makes sense. Whereas some years you might see just like that's just a rubbish shortlist. We hate it, and it's kind of like a collective thing. You know, a particular part of a community might say actually you know we prefer the more literary ones this one's rubbish it's a bit too you know i don't know uh talking on the top of my head it's a bit too contemporary or it's no a bit too conventional and of course in previous years we've had arguments going that we're too deliberately literary we mm. want to be the book prize secretly we're we're ashamed of our science fiction heritage and that's rubbish as well and on the argument cycles and i just happily retweet all of it well, there is, there's just, as I said, a wide range yeah. of stuff there, isn't there? And I mean, aside from the kind of trying to spot trends and all the rest of it, what, what do you think an aspiring author could learn from looking at that shortlist? Um, that's a really good question. And I think it's one I could probably go on for age and, you know, for age and age in terms of what writers could look for. But I think it confirms, you know, I know quite a few of these authors personally. You know, they, I know that they've, um, you know, they're all trying to do their own kind of thing. What it basically shows is that you can do something new and be successful with it. You can also, you don't have to innovate for the sake of innovation, that good work will come to the fore. Long way to a small angry planet, as I said, self-published, those kind of things. You know, the stigma from that has definitely fallen away. The new stigma is you need to do it really well because actually people are doing it very well. <laughs> um, so Yes, perhaps that's a good stigma. Yeah, no, absolutely. But, you know, the competition is tough. But, you know, it, it, it can work. And I don't mean in the sense of just with Becky getting picked up in the, you know, by a conventional publisher. You know, it can work in its own right for people. And I think, you know, what it shows is a kind of like, actually, there are a lot of experts out there, but nobody knows for certain. It's a fast moving, fluid kind of thing that you can see far more of in the way that social media swirls around the conversations, those kind of things, which is both a boon and a distraction. Not distraction to writing, but as in, you know, an argument saying, you know, can you do this? Can you do that? But I think, you know, with all of these books, you can see that people are very informed by what has gone before. You know, they are fans of it. Even with Ian, you know, he, he, yes, he, yeah. he's deliberately yeah. sort of saying, you know, uh, it is science fiction book. Um, I hope you like it. <laughs> science fiction fans, you know, don't just because I already, well, just cause I already have a career. It. I thought I'd have a go. You know, where, you know, yeah. D- d- yeah. Don't, open the door. Don't put up the wall. Basically. Well, this actually sort of is connected to another question I was going to ask you, actually, because you've 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 touched on this. A number of your nominees yeah. have worked in other genres, and aside from you know, did that get them on the list or not, or anything like that? Completely aside from that, do you, do you think there's do you think it's an advantage for in people in terms of their work to perhaps have sort of worked in different genres? Um, there are caveats to this, but there are huge advantages potentially to working across different forms and also being willing to experiment you know in terms of just the commercials of what genres work also you know yes i mean picking up different skills learning to tell stories in different ways understanding the tropes are involved those kind of things but from exposure points of view if you have the opportunity to work across different audience segments um you know i'm gonna refer back to uh, lauren bukas starts as a a journalist, but also writing yes. scripts <clears throat> for children's TV, wrote science fiction books, started off with her first book, Moxieland, which most recognizably sort of post cyberpunky, then into urban fantasy with Zoo City, and then into more kind of being published by Harper Collins, not Harper Collins Voyager, the genre imprint with um, Shining Girls and um, Broken Monsters, which are very much urban fantasy in the sense they involve time travel and, and, sort of mystic serial killing and so on but at the same time very much promoted as thrillers that you can pick up with an encounter in a very different way you know they're aimed at different readers and she's also writing comics and those kind of things other writers you know if you get the opportunity to do tv or those kind of things but i think you know what i'm sort of saying is for a certain kind of writer there's uh there are advantages to not limiting yourself to particular to exploring and playing i mean the obvious example of this has to be neil Gaiman. yes yeah. If you want to be Neil Gaiman, 
you know, buy a black T-shirt, mess your hair up, get a leather jacket. And once you've done all of those things, also realize that he's in, got all these deals and all these kind of things. because He went into all those spaces yeah. and explored them and was willing yeah. to fail. Yes. In them, yeah. yeah. You know, and sort of I guess there's there's another point I wanted to ask you about. But you sort of aligned to that. And in our in our email exchange, um, we talked about social media and um, smart things authors yeah. can do. And I just wondered, I mean, perhaps we can touch on that now. Are there, <clears throat> particularly with the range of experience you've had in the different things you've done, are there two or three things that are like smart stuff authors can do in terms of promoting themselves, in terms of being a bit savvy about how markets work and how social media works? Just getting out there and actually learning how it works properly in terms of marketing and so on, devoting a little bit of time to it. Some people are naturally very good at it. So let's say you're not for a second and you're looking at someone who seems to just be a natural to it. I actually train people in social media marketing. So my definition of what is good is much different from what might just look good because natural following you, know, you can have a huge following and you completely bolt it up still in terms of actually getting any results from it is, is the point i had a conversation i won't name him with a very well-known author who you would think is a genius at social media and i pointed out to him that you could schedule tweets in advance and he was up at three in the morning to get his u.s <laughs> audience and so on so now obviously it's great if you are up because you can have live one-to-one conversations but you know, to, to balance your life. To get some sleep. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that's just one kind of classic example of just actually knowing the tools that are out there. The other one is to remember that you don't have to be on all the time. Social media is quite forgiving about you. Think of it as a river, not a hose pipe. You can put, get back in. It will have flowed on, but it won't necessarily miss you. You can just come back in and pick up threads of conversation. I am not as a consumer of social media, Twitter and so on going, where the hell was your 9 a.m. Monday post? been there the last four weeks where was it where was it i was tuned in you know (laughs) i'm much too busy being interested in me and anything else that's going on so that's kind of that and you don't actually need to be on any of those things at all there is a huge amount of pressure and it's put on you know by publishers you know get out there you know blog blah all those kind of things the people who seem to be good at it are people who would be doing it naturally whether they were writers or not they would be in that kind of medium if it feels forced it will look forced you're better off not doing something like that but the real secret is actually to talk about other people not yourself and it will you will slowly build reciprocation and connections and it's not about social media per se it's about the connection you make in the real world off the back of it the deal done the drinks in the bar those kind of things and bringing it offline again and just using that as reinforcement because if you know 50 new people uh, convention on twitter only and you know i've had those experiences you you great you already know them it's brilliant you know and then you meet and you're off and you end up doing some project together or something the one thing and it's not just from the clark Ward. we only do positive messages and on the clark Ward, you know, this book's amazing this is the thing you might want to go to we don't go your book sucks, author. You know, kind of. <laughs> this one definitely wasn't going to win. Well, that would be a bit harsh, wouldn't it? Link. And that would probably get loads. It would get loads of click through. Everyone's like, "What? What? Which one is it?" <laughs> you know, web traffic yeah. would go up massively. But actually, in terms of even trying to win arguments on the internet, rather than contradicting, I've, because I don't participate directly in, say, the arguments around the Hugo Award yeah. or something like that, in terms yeah. of the negativity there. Every time an argument like that comes up, my immediate role is just to go out and go, here's an amazing book by a woman science fiction writer or whatever. Um, you should just go and read it. No context, you know, no kind of thing. And that's actually going to sell six books because we track it, you know, and that's going to do that. And if you're doing that as a writer, you know, participating, promoting other i don't mean promoting but you know just actually recommending stuff you genuinely like you're part of the conversation you're paying it forward and it will come back round. that's my advice yeah i said i've certainly heard a lot of people say going on social media and just talking about your book is just a disaster just don't do that yeah so there you go <laughs> okay thanks very much a few few gems there i mean it's good to hear these things um one other thing i want to ask you coming back to the award then so it is the arthur c clark award so what would sir arthur think now about the contemporary sci-fi scene if he was around do you think oh, i know this answer because he actually specifically told me before. uh we were only in very little <laughs> contact um obviously before he sadly passed away i'd only been involved but i do know this because he deliberately wanted the award to not be for books that looked like books by Arthur C. Clarke. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. He wanted it. It was about promoting UK science fiction and the, the, the voices from that. Um, he wanted to basically, you know, we use the phrase positive promotion. We are very open in terms of our submission. So we've already had that whole conversation about, you know, bringing, calling in books and all those kind of things. Um, we'll often be asked by 
publisher, you know, should I send it in? It's kind of like, it's a bit science fiction, like one section is sent in the, the past, one's present, one's a bit near future. What do you know? Kind of like, it's a third at most science fiction, and mostly it's just sort of in the future, but basically it's family drama. Um, and our answer is, well, we don't know, um, but we can't tell you unless you send it in. And occasionally yeah. we'll get books that are, you know, a lot of people quite rightly we go well that's actually more fantasy than science fiction isn't it yes. uh, and we yeah, had you know, a lot yeah. of people calling us on that when we nominated China Mabel for his third win with City in the City people going it's not science fiction it's like well it's a person who lives in two cities they're actually the same place and it's all a, a mental psychology that the characters have to even make that even believable um, and they're filming it I have no idea how they're going to film it really because uh, oh, it's something that okay. really has to sit in your head yeah. uh, I imagine it should be good I guess People have to bear with you guys though a bit, don't they? Because if I mean you've made a you've made quite a large point about you're not following a trend, you're not second guessing anyone, you're not looking for like oh here's here's the kind of subgenre of the year or something, but actually you're letting your judges pick excellent books. Exactly. We, yeah. So a whole bunch of stuff is going to come out like we that. don't define even science fiction. And the first thing we do when we talk about it with our new judges every year is basically say. You're here because you're experienced science fiction. You understand it from a particular point of view. There will be other opinions in the room, but yours is valid. It is yours. And we don't define science fiction and we don't draw boundaries around it. That's your job to, based on the stuff that is sent in, we can't make a decision unless it's put in front of us. But I will also say to a publisher, if you send in, we might make the decision very quickly and decide, actually, yeah, that's blatantly fantasy. The bit with the uh, the mermaids, for example, that kind of gave it away. I'm not thinking of a particular book. I'm just trying to think of an obviously fantasy-based no, no, no. character. No, I, but yeah. Cyborg Mermaids, yeah. uh, you've got to messed it up now, haven't you? <laughs> a lot of stuff, we can talk about a lot of science fiction fans will say that Star Wars is fantasy. Uh, there's noise in space really? and, you know, okay. laser swords. Yeah. and it, There's no science in Star Wars. <laughs> It's fantasy. It just happens to be said in space. And so probably we'll have that kind of argument. And so, and, it, and it's always back and forth. And it depends on the judges in the room for us. And it will go in different ways. But we aim deliberately to have that conversation. And that was Arthur's aim, basically. And we look to honor that as much as possible, which is why I work really hard trying to get stuff called in. And it's why these days we release the full submissions list to the public, which no other award does. We partly did that so people could see the full spectrum themselves, you know, where things were coming from but also so they could just actually pick their own shortlist if they like, see new things and count the edges of the genre. Okay. So you, now you said earlier on that you were kind of, you've done the job for 10 years um, as award director and you're on, you're on to your second win. So mm. I was kind of half expecting you to say, oh, well, you know, I might do another year or two, but it sounds like you are uh, full of enthusiasm for the future of the award. Is there anything you can share with us about where you want to take it in the next few years? Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I mentioned that um, you know, the big priority when I joined in was basically awareness and book sales at its most basic, which comes from broader awareness. So I kind of lucked out, basically, in the rise of social media coinciding with my arrival in the award because that's the driver <laughs> in many ways. But also the sort of the changing attitudes towards geek culture, you know, sort of the predominance of that um, in popular culture. Um, so, you know, all of that plays its parts and we've been able to really kind of not only ride that wave, but contribute actively to it. When Sir Arthur passed away, originally the source of the funding was coming from him. There was no contingency plan in the sense of no trust fund, nothing like that. So, as I mentioned, the year that Lauren won was our 25th year. We ran out of money and we were in a position where actually the war had been going on for a bit. Under the, behind the scenes, we were paddling very fast on a, a lack of cash. We're all volunteers involved. Um, so there was a conversation, you know, we, we haven't got any money. Do we give out prize money? We have been for 25 years. We can't just sw let it get smaller. What it is, we'd be better off to shut it down after a quarter century and say, right, last winner, it needs to be the Neil Gaiman prize from now on or whatever and hope someone else fills the breach. Or what we actually did... Well, I actually said, no, it can't fail on my watch. This would be awful. I must, I must come up with a plan B. And we did that. You know, I mentioned working with places like, the, you know, you mentioned my working with the British Library exhibition. All of those kind of things helped us uh, develop income streams temporarily. So we were working with them, you know, on a consultative financial basis, which helped us. Basically, we build them, you know, no beating around the bush. Uh, we also started doing stuff like charging for submissions. So okay. publishers now pay a fee. Okay. You know, um, Funnily enough, that coincided with the rise in submissions, which is a weird reverse logic it, of, yeah. oh, if they're, if they're billing us, it must be worth entering. Yeah. Um, and people I know in, in you know, different industries have sort of mentioned those things of them seeing that as well when they charge for submissions. So, you know, I kind of, I didn't just adopt that strategy. It was something we needed to do. It was also something publishers had let us know they were willing to do because it's a, you know, they do it elsewhere. People pay a lot more 
20 the booker than they do for us for example so in some ways it was all about us actually moving from being a fan-based award that was popular to actually saying we are um you know punching on a on a higher level now regardless of our previous financial situation we're going to get bigger rather than smaller and we've sorted all of that out basically now so as i'm coming to the 30th year and my 10th year at the beginnings of it we formed media partnerships with sfx magazine and so on which helped with the immediate objectives then we got over a media huge crisis and now we're starting to look at what we can do above and beyond the immediate award cycle itself so i'm recruiting a little bit we're bringing in people to assist with some of those things i kept it very close to me in the sense of when we're going through the troubled years i didn't want to bring people in and basically go right your job is all the sucking bits because we're in trouble <laughs> but now we've established that it's actually a bit better we can bring people in to actually help on yeah. newer projects well, that's good. Yeah. and it's answering the question what can an award do in the time when it's actually off stream it doesn't have anything to do which is most of the year there's a lot of work behind the scenes all the chasing books and so on but what can we do publicly and that it's that kind of challenge that we're now starting to answer. There's also some stuff going on around changing of our rules. We're in a big debate at the moment around whether we will start taking on self-published books, for example. You know, we've been waiting. We're behind the curve on some awards. We're well ahead on others. We said we would review it on an anniversary year because it's a line in the sand. We didn't want to change incrementally. We said we'll be behind the curve, basically. People saying you should be accepting self-published and we've missed some great books uh jeff noon who has previously won the clark award his last channel skin could not win because it was self-published and that was his choice to go that route as a creator and to experiment in the form and when you can't take a book in by someone who's previously won it you're starting to see something changing there and then with becky this year same thing so we're looking for those little moments yeah although becky becky's one comes to you presumably because she it has come from a publisher now isn't it it's come via harder oh yes no absolutely but it's the it's it's basically we we can't in all honesty say the quality of self-publishing book is below par we need to pl- we need to ask those questions and so we started that this year and there will be announcements about what i've decided coming soon <laughs> okay okay so um i was just going to say as well but nobody should start sending their own book into you just yet then should they? they they just need to hang on we've not opened officially for submissions yet so those announcements will come as we start to actually move into next year's sort of cycle when we're, we're still on the end of this one we need a winner first yeah well you do need a winner and that i i, I guess that comes to kind of the, the final thing that i was going to ask you about so the award ceremony i think is on the 24th of august yes, is that correct? Yeah. so can anyone attend if somebody wants to come along where is it and how do they get a ticket what, what do they do yes okay so it's being held in um the event space in foils trang crossroad the flagship foil store which recently refurbed and has this amazing top floor event space and i've known their events organizer since i first moved to london and about 12 15 years ago or something and he was part of it foils then and saying you must come to us this was when it was old foils and they had a small tiny event space so it almost feels like he's built that event space just to lure me in <laughs> well he succeeded then. yeah and uh, one of the things we started doing um with the exception of people who've been shortlisted for the award this year and so on um we used to be invite only but now we actually charge for tickets again that's partly cost based on our managing our books that i was going on about but what that actually is a move i wanted to do anyway um, because it democratizes the invitation we are able with a partner like foils who do their own events we are able to sell our own tickets to an invite list so people we, we would know who were connected with press and um, you know authors and fan base who you know are very much part of the community we are in but it means that the person who actually wants to come and meet us for the first time can buy a ticket as well and they can do that you know they can contact me but actually um they can go to foils buy a ticket and come along and say hello to people drink a glass of wine boo loudly on twitter when they're not favorite book wins and so on along with everyone else and yeah come say hi to me I, i like to meet new people i really have always wanted to be able to have tickets available to the public who would like to come and it's a it's a specific public let's be honest it's people who have got to be passionate enough that they want to spend their money to come and watch an envelope be opened on a wednesday night it is you know there's more to it than that there is speeches you know there's welcoming atmosphere and so on but at the end of the day it's that moment you know we talk about new writers or people you know sort of coming along to events i meet a lot of new people who come to that kind of thing who are just starting out and that's that's the fun of it and it's 13 quid, so it's not exactly um, overly damaging. And you'll definitely get 13 quid's worth of wine, he guarantees. 
<laughs> well, there's an offer. So it's, it's 13 quid. <laughs> offer only open to listeners of this podcast and <laughs> anyone else. <laughs> Hard luck. So it's 13 yeah. quid and um, now foils have their own website you can go to, I think. Can't you? To, uh, presumably you can book it that way if you want to. Tickets will be on sale very shortly as of today, which is what, the 26th? july so um by the time anyone is listening to this those should be out and about and if they're not tweet me at clark award because something's gone wrong and <laughs> <laughs> okay so that that that's the kind of best channel to use is to go via foils to their online website and book, book a ticket that way absolutely book, right. book via them yeah foils.co.uk okay so tom is there anything else you want to uh, share with us any opinion or advice for writers uh, anything else you want to say about the award before we finish i think there's one thing that's come really sort of prevalent to me through this conversation actually um which i've always believed in but it's something that um you know one of the themes of what i think i've been trying to say is, is talking about sort of enthusiasm and paying it forward basically it doesn't matter whether you're a starting writer or fan you know i think that kind of element of actually supporting other people in the environment that you're in is hugely important especially in science fiction there's always going to be debates there's always going to be arguments and those kind of things but what i have found through 10 years of listening to a lot of that is where the fun is the and the continuing thing that keeps you coming back to it is actually comes right back to that conversation in the pub which bits of it do you want it to be enthusing about somebody else and you know if you're an author recommending someone else's book is a hugely powerful thing to do uh writing writing the stuff that you want to write we talked earlier about what does the shortlist represent and it basically represents there is are no rules uh the rules of grammar and rules of good plotting and characterization but in terms of where you're setting all of those kind of things or a particular formula you know, never been more opportunity to experiment and if you're not getting to market one way there are more opportunities there again you need to be clever with it but clever i'm not sure if it beats enthusiastic to be honest as long as it's done in the right kind of way Maybe a bit of both. Yeah. Clever and enthusiastic, I don't know. Enthusiastically tweeting me four times a day to tell me I should read your book, no. Um, enthusiastically uh, <laughs> be, being a passionate advocate for something amazing that's going to make me like you and probably accidentally click on your website to find out who you are and buy your book anyway, possibly. So, yeah, tap the enthusiasm. So if people do want to pay it forward, I guess they could they could go to your website, couldn't they, for a start, if they haven't already, uh, and check out the, the website. What is, what is your, what's your web, web address? Uh, it's nice and easy. It's the awards web address. It's clarkaward.com. That's nice and easy, isn't it? Okay. Nice and simple. And uh, if people want to follow you on Twitter or get in touch on Twitter, it's at Clark Award, is it? It is at, at Clark Award. Nice and simple again. Okay. And um, it is by me on there not all of the stuff on there is uh me telling you to buy books and it's using i will I, I twitter is my favorite of the social media platforms right. i like the chatter so okay. people are actually very welcome to come okay. and say hello so say hello to tom on twitter at clark award no that's good okay then tom well thank you very much for your time it's been great chatting to you um and uh, i certainly look forward to coming along on the 24th of august I'll see you then thanks very much indeed cheers thank you cheers bye, -bye. bye, -bye.